Hello and welcome to another edition of Deeper. It is so good to have you with us today. And uh, today uh, we are looking at our final um, in the series of sermons on Haggai. Uh, on Sunday I preached on Haggai 2, 10 to 23, and we're going to look at that passage again today and uh, just go a little bit deeper. And hopefully this week I won't leave in some of my mistakes like I did last week. Uh, I can't believe 30 people watched it without telling me I'd left something in that I shouldn't have left in. Um, so uh, if I do, always let me know. It's always helpful. So let's uh, let's get into the passage. I want to encourage you to read the passage. So do please, in a moment, press pause on the video, read Haggai 2, 10 to 23, and then restart the video. Fantastic. So here we are. Uh, this are, is uh, prophecies number three and four. Uh, Haggai gives four altogether. And these two are given on the same day. Uh, this is the, the second year, the reign of King Darius, which makes it 520 BC. Uh, and these prophecies are given on, it's our best um, estimate is December the 18th. Um, the first one was given, of course, on uh let me get that right, August the 17th. Uh, so there's uh, a few months between them. And in that time, quite a lot has happened. And the people of Israel started to get their act together uh, and started to uh, sort out the foundations and to rebuild the temple. And um, what we have here is uh, probably uh, Haggai speaking at a celebration. In verse 18, it describes how the, the foundations had been laid. Um, but what we also know is that they were laid 14 years earlier. And we can see that in Ezra uh, chapter 3, verses 8 onwards. Uh, they had a celebration then because the foundations had been laid. Uh, and that was a time when people were celebrating. But at the same time, there were people weeping because what they saw did not match what they remembered of the previous temple. And so uh, this seems to, this is a separate celebration. It's 14 years later. Uh, and either they have repaired the foundations because 14 years, anything could have happened to them. They could have needed repair. They could have needed rebuilding, all those kind of things. Uh, or the foundations were uh, still intact and in good order and were simply having a celebration because that's what you could do. I mean, that's the... One of the things that I love about the whole Old Testament is the way uh, it's there's celebrations for everything. And uh, that is something that we seem to have lost in the church, isn't it? That uh, we don't quite often have the same sense of celebration. And really we should, because we celebrate the resurrection each and every day. Anyway, that's a sideline. So there's a celebration going on. And uh, Haggai uh, preaches to all those who are gathered there. And he starts off, and in verses 11 to 13, he addresses the priests. And he, he basically uh, asks them two questions. First of all, can consecration be passed on? He describes how if you take some consecrated meat, meat that's been made holy, put it in the fold of your cloak, and if that fold then touches other food, does that food become holy? And all the priests say no. Uh, and then he describes how uh, if uh, somebody touches a, um, a person defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And the answer is yes. And there's some interesting things around here because 
First of all, asking the priests is significant. The priests were the ones who were the, uh, the, the experts on the law. And so they should uh, know exactly what to do. Although, to be honest, for these kind of things, most people would know what the answer was. But he, he asked the priest, maybe there's a little bit of kind of drama building that's going on here. He's making a little bit of a show. Uh, but there's a problem here for us. Because it's quite clear in both uh, Levit Leviticus, not easy to say, Leviticus 6.20 uh, and Ezekiel 44.19, that you can actually... Uh, make something else consecrated by something that has been consecrated touching it. Uh, so in, for instance, in Ezekiel 44, uh, it talks about when the priests go in, they consecrate themselves, they consecrate everything they're wearing, and when they are coming out, uh, they are meant to take off everything they have worn, and it says, so that people are not consecrated through contact with their garments. So it feels like there's a little bit of a contradiction going on. But there's a couple of things that maybe answer that. Uh, so it is clear that something that's been consecrated, if it touches something else, that other thing can become consecrated, become holy. Uh, in this situation, uh, what, uh, what um, Haggai is talking about is if this meat touches your robe and then that robe touches something else, does that become consecrated? And the answer there is quite clearly no from the priest. They know what they're talking about. And they say no. Uh, it could also be that there is some um, development of the Jewish tradition uh, as things move on. Uh, and maybe here in this point, they have just decided to develop this further and to say, actually, when something touches something else that's being consecrated, it doesn't pass on. Um, but it's quite clear that there is some level of problem here for us in understanding exactly what, what it means. But it seems to me that what Haggai is saying is if something's consecrated that touches something that touches something else, that final thing is not consecrated. Consecrated. Maybe the thing in the middle is, but the third thing isn't. And then what we have with the, uh, the second part of the question is uh, if a person defiled by contact touches a dead body and one of these things becomes as it's touched does it become defiled and the answer is yes now the dead body is the defiled thing a person is the middle thing and then there's the food that gets touched by the person that's quite clear here that there is a an element in which defilement is passed on more readily um, but even that is with restriction and so numbers 1922 says this uh, anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean and anyone who touches that becomes unclean till evening. So even there, there's a kind of restriction. Otherwise, you could end up with everything being totally consecrated or everything being totally defiled. There are kind of restrictions and boundaries in place here. So uh, for something that has been defiled, had its holiness marred in some way uh, or is in some way sinful, if someone touches that and then touches someone else, that person remains defiled just until evening, which could only be a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, or the rest of the day. And we'll get onto that a little bit later. Then in verse 14, God comes to the reason why he's asking these questions. And he says, look, these people are in my sight defiled. 
and whatever they do, whatever they offer, is also defiled. And it seems to me that um, the, the, the idea of what's gone on here is, there's the, is that their disobedience in not building the temple has meant that they are not the holy people of God anymore. They are defiled. They are living a life of sin. And in doing that, whatever they touch is also sinful. It's also defiled in God's sight. And we don't know the nature of their sin completely, but the context here is quite obvious, isn't it? The, the context is that they've been disobedient to God and so become defiled. And in, within all of this, it seems to be quite, quite clear that it's easier to be defiled than it is to become consecrated. Uh, and that's something for us to just reflect on maybe later on. That actually becoming holy is not something that is easy to do. And then in verse uh, 15 to 19, it says this. Uh, it says, well, it says, let me touch on this first. It says, three times, give careful thought to your ways, or an expression very similar to that. And that keeps coming up in Haggai, doesn't it? We see it in chapter one. Give careful thought to your ways. And there is here um, a kind of challenge to both the people of Israel and to us to always reflect on our life and to never assume that we're okay, that we've got things sorted. And uh, just in this passage, you know, God has challenged them, look, keep thinking about your ways. Don't step back into what used to be. And uh, it, what he says here at the beginning of this little section is now give careful thought to this from this day on. In other words, from this day on, change. Don't repeat the mistakes that have gone on before. And then he talks about what life was like before they restarted the building. Um, and he revisits an idea and a message that he gave in the very first message. In other words, you are trying to live life your way. You're trying to do things your way. And it's not producing what you expect. You're planting your seeds and the harvest is disappointing. You're growing uh, grapes and planting vineyards and the produce is less than you expect. You're putting money in your purses and your purses have holes in. And that, there's that whole thing that he talked about uh, very early on in the first message. And he revisits that idea here and talks about, uh, you know, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there are only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50, there are only 20. And the amounts here are totally unimportant. What God is talking about is what people expected and what they experienced and the gap between that. What they expected was, I can live my life my way and I can still live a life of blessing. And that was not true. They just didn't. They just can't live a life of abundance and blessing without God. And so their experience was disappointing compared to their expectation. They had not at this point yet been living under the blessing of God. They'd been living a disobedient, defiled life. They were living a life in which they were reaping the consequences of their own behavior. And in that, God was calling them back to him. And it says very specifically, you know, like I sent uh, the mildew and the hail and all that kind of stuff, but you did not return to me. It's only now, at this point, through the preaching of of Haggai and also Zechariah, that they come back to him. 
You see, Zechariah has, uh, if you read Zechariah chapter one, uh, Zechariah also dates that particular um, uh, prophecy. And he puts it at a, a few weeks before this one. And the response to Zechariah's prophecy is that the people repented. They had turned around. They Through the pro prophecies of Haggai and then Zechariah, God had brought this kind of two-pronged approach. Haggai was saying, look at and consider your ways. Consider the mess you've effectively made of your life. And then Zechariah comes and says, repent, turn back to the Lord. And the combination of those things with the disappointment of how they'd been living in all of those years brought them to a point of coming back to God. And so uh, Zechariah, um, he gives his, his message uh, in the month preceding this one. And then Haggai gives this message. And then uh, there's a little phrase, isn't there? Let me just find it. Uh, in verse 19, he says, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, until now, that's the key thing. The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. He is indicating here is a change now. You've repented. You're starting to rebuild the temple. You are being an obedient people again. Uh, until now, this hasn't happened. But from this day, he says, I will bless you. You are going to live in the abundance of my blessing. And of course, that's where we all want to be, isn't it? Living under the abundance of God's blessing. And God promises that those blessings will come. And then we move into verses 20 to 23, the final and fourth message. Uh, and that's given on the same day, the same event. And God uh, picks on particularly Zerubbabel, uh, the governor. And um, it says a, a few things. First of all, he says, I'm go God says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. He says that in uh, verse 21. Verse 22, he kind of expands what that looks like. And what it looks like here, what God is saying, is a, a kind of political shaking. Nation will overwhelm another nation. Armies will be defeated. Empires will rise and fall. It's that kind of feel to what he's saying. And so God is saying, like, in, in this next era, there is going to be a huge political shift. Um, and in that, Zerubbabel, you are going to be my signet ring. And I said on Sunday, didn't I, there were two things. Uh, first of all, that um, a signet ring was highly valuable. It was precious. It, precious in by, with what it had be, been made with. It was usually a precious uh, metal in some way, uh, perhaps inlaid with stones. Uh, but also for what it signified. It signified authority. And a signet ring would be used to, to mark a wax seal or something like that. It was a mark of authority. And here God is saying to Zerubbabel, look, in the shaking, I will protect you. But in the shaking, you are also going to have my authority. You're going to be able to act and speak on my behalf. Why? For the simple thing. Because I have chosen you, said the Lord. That simple thing, God just chose him. There's nothing that maybe marked him out. In fact, we don't even know what happened to him after this. But God simply chose him. 
And in that way, we're all chosen, aren't we? We're all chosen in exactly the same way. It's not because of what we've done or how we've lived. God simply chooses us to be his people. He chooses us to be his sons and daughters. And he gives us his authority. And we're able to act on that authority. So let's just spend a few moments thinking about what some of this might mean for us today. So let's think a little bit wider about what all this means for us. And uh, the first and most obvious thing is this, the importance of holiness. And I talked about this quite a bit on Sunday, didn't I? And, you know, it's holiness has two sides to it. Uh, if you imagine a coin, one side of it is, it is God who makes us holy through Christ. It is Christ covering us with his blood that makes us holy in God's sight. But it's also, on the other side of the coin, uh, choices and actions that we do. So we have a role in this. And uh, so when it says uh, in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy, there's a, a choice there for us to make, isn't it? In fact, that whole passage is all about the choices that we make and how that affects our holiness. So let me read it to you. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so every day we have this choice to, to live in the holiness that Christ has won for us. Every day, the way that we think and act and behave, and the way that we speak, all of that is should be a reflection of the holiness of God within us. And uh, this whole passage kind of indicates to us, doesn't it, how, how easy it is to, to lose that holiness, to, to lose that sense of the uniqueness and the majesty and the beauty of God within us. And I talked a bit about on Sunday at uh, the different services, um, that, you know, holiness isn't about some kind of stern religion. It's not about following certain rules. It is about the character and the nature of God and how beautiful and attractive that is. Holiness should always be attractive because God is attractive. Holiness will also have within it an element of awe and wonder uh, and even fear because the holiness of God can be all-consuming. It has all of those things, but it's always going to be attractive. It draws us to God, not uh, pushes away. And so we should be a people who draw people through our actions to God. And every day we make choices about how that looks. Every day we have an opportunity to, to act and behave and to think and to speak in certain ways. And I would encourage you, Give careful thought to your life. How holy are you? How are you living in the holiness that Christ has won for you? The second thing is this, that a defiled people do not offer to God anything that is holy. You know, that's what we saw in our passage is that this people have been disobedient. They had become defiled in the sight of God. And so everything they offered was defiled. Don't think that you can live in a certain way and just because you do some good things for God that in some way that 
kind of uh, covers over all the other stuff. It is only Christ and his grace that covers over things, not what you do. And so it's important here that we remember that it is actually in our obedience to Christ that we start to live in the blessing of God. That blessing just doesn't cover all the disobedience that we have. It didn't with these people. And although we always live under grace, although we are a people now who have experienced the wonderful grace of God, we also have to understand that our sinfulness leads us to a place where we are perhaps not receiving the blessing that we could receive because in some way we've become defiled in his sight. And obedience is so many things, isn't it? It is not just about, you know, doing the things like, you know, don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal and all those kind of things. It is about what has God told you to do today and have you done it? See, there's nowhere in the law, was there, that the, the people of God had to build this temple here and now. They knew it because God had told them and they didn't do it. Disobedience and holiness is a response to everything that God is saying to us now. Everything that we know in scripture and those personal things that he says to us. Those things that he kind of whispers at the back of our mind that he calls us to do. When he calls us to step forward and to to speak out for him or to uh, share our faith with someone or to offer our time and our energy to those who are needy. Every time we fail to respond to his call, we are in disobedience. And so no longer may be receiving all the blessing that we could receive. And we're fortunate though, you know, like these Israelites, they had repented. And we too can just say we're sorry. We can repent. We can turn our actions around. We can start again and receive again the grace and the blessing of God. Their hearts had turned and that had turned them into action. And of course, we've talked a lot, haven't we, about what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And that is the, the, the kind of one phrase that sums up this whole book. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff he will give you as well. We are to be a people who put God first, who are obedient to God, therefore living holy lives, serving him in the world, and in doing so, receive all the blessings that he has for us. The final thing that we just need to reflect on is, is authority. Uh, we could talk about you know, reflecting on being chosen, all those kind of things, but I think I just want you to reflect on authority. Uh, I said on Sunday, didn't I, that, you know, as we start to move out of restrictions and start to get back out into the world, we need to be people who demonstrate the holiness of God, but also a people who are living with the authority of God, who are comfortable with that, who are happy to speak under the authority of God, to speak with the authority of God, to act with the authority of God. We need to be that kind of people. We need to step out boldly and really seek to do all the things that God has called us to do, to be obedient to him. So let's take things a little bit further, and we're going to look at some questions for you to consider, either on your own or in your missional communities. 
So I've got five questions for you to consider. Uh, first one, uh, it's it's an unusual one in some ways. Uh, how do you feel about holiness? I'm not asking you to think about it. I'm asking you to what, what do you feel about it? Because sometimes we can acknowledge certain things, can't we? But it's our heart that stops us entering into it because either we're afraid or anxious or uncertain or all sorts of other kind of emotions. How do you feel about holiness? Is this something that almost instinctively you kind of respond against? Does it have some kind of negative connotation for you? Or is it entirely positive? If it's positive, great, share that. That's the first question, how do you feel about holiness? The second question, what are the obstacles to personal holiness? What are the things that would stop us really entering into a life that is holy? The third one, this is a very general one. How can you give careful thought to your ways? What do you think that phrase means for you? How would you actually give careful thought to how you live your life? What are the things that you'd want to consider? What would be the like little check boxes that you want to go through? Just share that with other people because you may have insights into how you might consider your life that would be helpful for others. The fourth question is this. Uh, what does it mean for us to live and work with the authority of God? That's kind of a big question, um, but just spend some time talking about it. What does it mean to step out into the world knowing that we carry the authority of God? And that, that authority is given to us by Jesus, isn't it? Uh, read Luke 10, 19. Let me encourage you to do that. Read Luke 10, 19 now. What does that mean for you? And the final question, uh, how will you apply Matthew 6, 33? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. How will you apply that verse to your life? So there we go. That's all the questions. It is so good to be to have you with us this week. I want to encourage you to join us uh, this Sunday for Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we're going to be reflecting on the work of the Spirit in our lives. And uh, next Tuesday, we'll go a little bit deeper with it as well. So do please join us for both of those things. Until then, stay safe and have a great week. Bye now.